Paul has been, let me remind you, well, I better just pray right this from the beginning. Lord, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to every one of us tonight. You know what needs to be said, what needs to be heard. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive. And Lord, don't let us think because we feel like we're hard to receive what you um, want to tell us tonight. That somehow that's some form of maturity. Show it for what it really is, rebellion, sin. Lord, if your word says it, minister to us in it. That there be nothing, Lord, nothing that will interfere with our loving you tonight. But rather, Lord, perform the surgery that is necessary, the surgery, Lord, on each of us, where we need, where we need it, to remove what needs to be removed and implant what needs to be inserted. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, speak fluent us, every one of us tonight. That there would not be one of us here who would not get it tonight. But please, Lord, tonight, please, show yourself, Lord. Reveal yourself in a very real, in a very practical way. God, we need to encounter you tonight. Just, not just get knowledge. And Lord, let it be clear, so clear. Tonight, Lord, leave this mark on our hearts so clear that we are forever changed. Make us more like you. So we commit this to you now, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Paul planted a church roughly five years ago. The church was in the area of Corinth, just west of Athens. Corinth was famous for its lasciviousness, its sin. It was the Amsterdam or the Vegas of, of the Europe of the day. The sort of statements like what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, that's kind of the idea here. And Paul, fugitive from several places because of his preaching of the gospel, which never seemed to stop him, winds up there and spends three years there. He watches these people come from pagan backgrounds and give their life to Jesus. He's got a very intimate relationship. We have no place recorded where he spends more time. And when Paul leaves, he is now in Ephesus on his next trip. He gets a letter, apparently from Chloe's household, sent by Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. Guys, we'll see by the end of the book. Who seem to drop off. And, and basically, there's, it's a two-fold letter. Basically, there are some concerns in the church. That's our first six chapters. It boils down to the simple statement he makes here, you're carnal. You guys are not growing. You know, when you were first born, being in nappies makes sense, but you should have grown out of that by now. You should grow out of the needing to be nursed, to be fed. 
And I'll tell you in all honesty, there are many people who will go to heaven, will live that life for the rest of this one, never knowing how good it could be. I mean, let's face it, when we're kids, we have no responsibilities. It's supposed to, but at least that's supposed to be the sort of ideological idea of what it would be to be a kid. Everyone takes care of you. You're safe and you're free and carefree. Who wants to grow up and become responsible? So we become like spiritual Peter Pans. But you never know what it's like to fall in love. You don't know what it's like to be a dad. You don't know what it's like to hold a child in your arms that's your own. See, those things can't happen as a kid. You don't know what it's like to make a good choice and then in time see the dividend of that good choice bear fruit. Because back then you just did whatever for the now and it just was for the now. And I'll be honest, there are some people that will be their whole life. They'll never really take responsibility for their walk with Christ. But Pastor Paul here doesn't want to have any of that with the church he's planted. I mean, this church is suing each other. They are proud of their sexual tolerance. They're divided all over the place by who they want to... They're name-dropping. I go to this Calvary, I go to this Pentecostal, I go to this church, and we're all about this and we're about that. And it's the stuff the outside world looks at and doesn't want to go near us because of it. So in chapter 3, Paul starts playing that out, and he goes, you know, how could you do that? Paul says, don't be dropping my name. You could be dropping the name above all names. Why would you be dropping my name? You really think it's going to get anywhere? And there are people that are like that. I was sitting with Pastor blah, 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 or listening to Pastor blah, 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 talking on the phone with Pastor blah, 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 or with Evangelist blah, 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 or with whatever, blah, blah, blah. And in the end of it all, let's face it, if somebody really famous came in and sat down in our church, some people will run out of here, and the first thing they'll do is tell someone else that that person came to our church. There'll be others that'll just be praying for the man or the woman. And we got to be careful. And then he says, hey, you know what? He doesn't say you're sinners in the sense of going to hell. He never once doubts their salvation, and they are a mess as a church. It's a three-ring circus. The spiritual gifts have become a free-for-all to prove who's got the greatest spiritual endowments. I mean, you would walk into this church, and it was pandemonium. People are doing laps, and everyone's trying to out-tongue the other person. Everyone's trying to out-prove the, uh, themselves because it's a self-driven, self-endowed, self-righteous self-proving, self-aggrandizing, self-esteemed church. The church of self. But yet, they've given their life to Christ, and because of that, he knows they're saved. They're just really, really spiritually retarded. When Paul went and he planted the church, he wasn't impressive to look at, but he was a gifted in regards to what he wrote. But he was the man with the planted the church and was there, but after he left, Apollos came in, and that man... Midnight at the Apollos, this man knew how to speak. This guy was a gifted, trained guy, and he would be the kind of guy that you would want to say you knew. The guy that when he speaks, man, people write down quotes all the time to put in another book, and they'll say, can I borrow that quote? Can I have that quote? That kind of thing. That was Apollos. Some would say, well, I knew Kephas, Peter. He was one of the original 12, and others would say, yeah, but so was Judas. You really want to play that game? 
Paul says, you know what that looks like to me? You look like people barely saved. That's kind of the idea here. I'm not doubting you're saved. You just look barely saved. You look fresh out of the womb saved. And a person fresh out of the womb saved may not necessarily on the outside look very different yet. Oh, he'll change, he'll change. But then God takes us from that. And that was, by the way, if you want to know more about that, that was the last time we were in it a couple Wednesdays ago. And he takes us to verse 9, and that's where we pick it up today. And he says, we are God's fellow workers. We, Paul speaking of Paul himself, Apollos, Kephas, Peter, all these guys. You know what we are? And I love this word for what it's worth because the workers, in the simplest sense, they're errand runners. If anyone ever tries to pull the hot card, and I've, I've had the joke, if you give someone a badge, they become a sheriff in an instant. You know, people are like, just give me a title, just tell me. But the moment someone gets a title, it's like they become nuts in some cases. And one of my favorites is Deacon. Don't miss with me. I'm Deacon Bob. I'm Deacon Jones. I'm Deacon whatever. Do you know Deacon literally just means errand runner? So someone says, don't mess with me. I'm a deacon. Say, go get me a donut. You're an errand runner. And he says, you know what we are? We're just errand boys. I mean, we're a guy that happens to have UPS or Royal Mail on our jacket. And we're shoving something through your door. And you want to say, praise God for that. I mean, let's face it. I'm happy for the mailman when he brings the right stuff. Not happy most of the time because for whatever reason, he tends to favor bills when he comes to my house. But I don't praise him. And he says in verse 10 now, he starts to develop this concept. We were investors. You're the invested. We're the workers. You are the project. Verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation. Because Paul was there. For three years he was there. It's a little about five years later. He's across the Aegean Bay, and now he's hearing this, and he's quite concerned. I laid, the found, I laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, hay, wood, and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work in which he is built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet, as, yet so as through fire. Please note in this, it isn't an issue of salvation. Did you notice that? In both cases, the people are saved. In one case, there will be a reward. In the other case, oh, you're still going to get to go to heaven, but the reward isn't there. And that's an interesting thought because we don't like to think about the fact that there appears to be some form of strata in heaven. That there will be those that will be rewarded and those that will be less rewarded. That's an interesting thought. The next verse, and we'll build on this a great deal in just a moment, but it says then in verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Notice the rest of it, because it's not a new thought. Let no one deceive himself. 
If any among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he might become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Kephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Notice, by the way, it tells us here that Paul gives himself a title. In verse 10, he says, he starts by saying, we're the workers, you're, you're the project. And he gives himself the title Master Builder. Do you see it there in verse 10? In verse 10, the word Master Builder, Master or Primary or First in the Greek is the word Arki, like Archangel, First Angel. The word for Builder is the word Tekton. This is where we get the word Architect from. Now, Today, an architect draws up the blueprints. We actually happen to have one or two in our fellowship, by the way. Ones who have done some quite, quite some impressive stuff around this uh, beautiful city of ours. In those days, we might be more likely to call it a foreman today. I don't know if that's the term you might use here, chief builder or whatever the case would be. But the person who supervises the building. What would we call that here? A fo- foreman? Okay, good. So let's take that. Now understand, what the foreman has and is responsible for are the blueprints. Does that make sense? The foreman has to unroll those blueprints and assign people for the purpose of getting each part of this done. He'll see where the electricity is, where all the wiring is. He'll see where all the plumbing is, all the pipes have to go. He'll see where all of the walls have to be and how they have to be secured. And he will oversee the the chief foreman will have to oversee from the pouring of the foundation or, the, or the, what they actually call the setting of the frame for that to the finishing work of that particular project. He will oversee the entire thing till the building is done. Are you with me on that? And Paul says, that's my job. Paul knows that. And so Paul says, because here's the problem. As I remember, Paul says, I'm going to be the guy for the moment playing the role of the foreman. You are actually the field. Did you notice that in verse 9? He called you the field and the building. Do you know why that is? Because first of all, you are the land. You are the land for which it's going to be built on, and the building is going to be built on you, so you're that building too. Here's the problem. Unless you look carefully, you won't know what the building is that it's supposed to be on there. All you know is construction work is going on. And sometimes that doesn't feel so good. But if you don't know what God's going to make you, well, then you could get kind of bummed out when you start hearing the saw going, or the chisel. When you start hearing the beep, 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 beep. And this is where he starts. Notice Paul knows what he's doing. He's actually a good. Notice he doesn't just say a master builder, but he says a wise master builder. Did you see that? A wise master builder means a guy who actually knows what he's talking about. Now imagine Andrew's not feeling well and he goes to his GP. And as he goes to his GP, he walks in and the guy's gotten all of his degrees. 
He knows all of the information. He's passed his tests with a low grade, but he's passed nonetheless to get there. And as he walks in, he looks and he goes, well, you know, all of the books say this, Andrew, but I've got this hunch that peanut butter and double cream will actually solve the problem. You should rub it on your head three days, three times a day, and all of your coughing will go away. Andrew has a right to walk out of there screaming quack and go find a second opinion. Even if the guy were his GP, that didn't mean he was a wise GP. Does that make sense? And some of all y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't have a wise GP kind of thing. Paul says, I'm not just a master builder. I know what I'm doing here. And he says, and this is, he goes, this is how you can know it. It starts with this. The next statement is, no other foundation can be laid but this one. See, understand, when Paul looks at the building, and he has, let's, Paul as a servant of the Lord, the Lord has the total building in sight. He knows what he's going to build on you. He knows, if I'll say it this way, what he's going to build you to be. Does that make sense? Here's the problem, is that when the Lord knows that he's going to have to build, the problem is, is that for the building he has drawn up on your site, there is only one foundation strong enough right enough, pure enough, and sure enough to put that building on there. And the foundation you have before him will not work. So guess what God has to do? You have to get tore up from the floor up. And there is our first problem. You see, let me tell you what we might want to do instead. We might want, and here's three things for you to consider, and I would want you to pray with me on this because I've been taking this very, very big to heart here. The first is what we might want is a redecoration. Now what that means is I'm looking at the inside of this building and it's not comfortable enough for me. So I need you to redecorate it to make the feng shui a little nicer for me so I could be more comfortable. Isn't that what a redecorator does? This is how it works. You came in here and there's turmoil. You've gotten trials inside. There's unrest. You're feeling lonely. You're feeling confused. And you know what? The inside of the house isn't comfortable. You come to Christ and you say, Jesus, redecorate my house. Redecorate me. But here's the problem. And can I just make this clear? God makes clear as servants. Jesus does not add to your life. Jesus replaces your life. Let me say that again. Jesus doesn't add to your life. He replaces it. To ask God to redecorate your life is for asking God to add to your life, not replace it. Does that make sense? Here's the problem. If you come to Christ because of an internal turmoil and that's the only thing you want God to change or you'll allow God to change, the moment it eases up, you're gone until the next internal turmoil. And you watch people like that. You bring them in and they're rough, things are rough and it's like, you know what, and you, and you know it and you're seizing upon it because you're going, you need Jesus. He will put that peace in your life and he will. 
And what happens is, you know, it's like, I don't know, I think I got my girlfriend pregnant. I don't know, I think I have a disease. I don't know, I think that the police are after me. And all of a sudden you realize there isn't a warrant after your arrest. You went to the, to the clinic and you're off the hook. She's not pregnant and you're like, cool, see you next trial. And they're gone. And you feel like, wait a minute, I thought they responded to Jesus. Well, they didn't respond to Jesus the way Jesus wanted you to respond to him. And he's not here to redecorate you today. Second, Maybe you could want Jesus to remodel you. Now, the remodel is different than redecorate. Redecorates the interior, remodels the outside. And you know what it is? You, you realize that there's problems in your life and it's affecting others. I'm angry and it's hurting other people. I can't be faithful. I didn't know that's bothering people. I have this problem with gambling or with stealing or with whatever it is. Externally, I'm a violent person. Externally, I'm a player. Whatever it is. And you go, Jesus, I need you to change that. And he will change that because that's part of the parcel. It's just not all of it. And what you're saying is the outside of the house is messed up. It needs a whole new, you know, remove the plaster. Let's put some paneling up there. Let's cover that baby up. Let's add a room and make it bigger. Oh, and I'll pray the prayer of Jabez, enlarge my borders. Give me more. But the house is so messed up. What do you want more of it for? And so going, God, change the outside of my house. I don't think people like me. Make me likable. I'm insecure. Put me in a church and make that different. And that comes to our third one. We could want God to redecorate. We could want God to remodel. Or we could want God to relocate. In America, we do this. Now, I don't, not often, but it happens. And you'll be on the highway. And we have really, really big highways in America a lot of times. And yet, even in some of those giant highways, they'll pick up parts of a house, put it on the back of a truck, and then drive it down the highway. It's like, you go like, what in the world? There's a house on the street. See, what happens sometimes, you just don't like the neighborhood you're in. You know what it's like? People don't like me. They're starting rumors about me. This is a rough place. Could you pick me up? Hey, church is a place where everyone will serve me. They're all supposed to be like Jesus. I'll respond to Jesus. I'll do my thing. And then everyone can love on me. Relocate me, God, to a place where it's like everybody loves me. The problem is you'll go and find out they're just like you. (laughs) Wanting everyone to love them too without them wanting to love others. We all want to be loved. We just, to be honest, if we knew what real love was, we wouldn't want to love. We would just want to be loved if we're honest. And we'll say, God, relocate me. Is that where you're at tonight? Are you here because, let's face it, and I'll be honest, this is the coolest group of people I have ever met in my life. And I'm, and I'm, and hopefully, I mean, our fellowship back in the States, they were amazing people, and I love them, but can I just say for the safety of not getting any angry letters or whatever you tie, okay? But, um, (laughs) but honestly, I can't wait to hang out with you. I wake up in the morning jazzed about whatever time it is that I get to be with you. But if that was it, you know it. Because the moment you leave here, you're back to being your nasty self and nothing changes. Is that where you're at? See, listen, Jesus didn't come to redecorate you. He didn't come to remodel you. And he didn't come to relocate you. He came to reinvent you. And to do that, he's got to go to the foundation. Do you know what the foundation was before him? It was you. And you are not strong enough for the building he has planned on you. Does that make sense?
But you understand, to remove a foundation, there has to be digging. Here's the good news, and here's the difference between the self-help world around us that says you set the dreams and get God behind them, and what God says, which is sit and wait on me and let me give you dreams, is that you don't have to dig through your own dirt. God knows, because he's the one who's doing the work. Let me remind you, you're the project. He's the one in charge of it. Does that make sense? So he's got to dig. So you're like, God, I'm going to come share. Okay, I'll accept Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. God, you can do whatever you need to do, which we really don't even really think about what that means. And all of a sudden you hear, and you look, all of a sudden, here comes the wrecking ball. And your house just starts shouting. Whoa, 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 whoa. God, whoa, 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 whoa. I like that. Whoa, whoa, stop. And you're hugging the ball. No, please, please. God's like, but you can't see the plans I have laid out. All you see is what's going down. It was a lean-to. It was a horrible thing, but it was it was yours. That was the problem. It's mine. That's hey, that's still my poster I put up on the wall. That's still my Star Trek model hanging from visual. Hey, that's hey, don't 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 touch that. And the whole thing starts coming down. I have a friend who's a builder back in the states, and he was a really gifted man. Actually, helped build so much of so many places that we saw around the world. And the problem in our little beach community was that a lot of people actually built with no foundation. Can you believe you can do that? And he goes, here's the problem. If you have a wonky foundation, in other words, that's where everything has to be solid. If you have a wonky foundation, and I loved what he told me once. He had come back from something, and he was exhausted. And you know, one of those days where you're not just physically spent, but the guy's just like, I I just want to watch something stupid because my mind's been working too hard, that kind of exhausted. I'm like, what's up? He goes, look, can I just tell you something? When the foundation is messed up, the rest of the house is custom. And I said, can you develop that, please? Because you can imagine as a pastor and a Bible teacher, I'm always looking for a good illustration, and that just made sense to me. And he's like, yeah, let me tell you. Because the house is not set right, because the foundation is not set right, everything else from that point on, you have to modify to give an appearance of being level and solid. But it isn't. You know, the Lord took me away. I was like, bro, stay here. I got to go walk that one for a moment. And the Lord's like, that was you before you gave your life to me. You had this wonky foundation. And because it was wonky, you spent the rest of your life customizing every little bit of your life to try to make the house look solid. But it wasn't. Do you get it? So Jesus comes and he starts breaking things you think are good. And you know the problem is? He actually told you that and you knew it, but you thought it wouldn't be everything. But how do you like lift up a room, fix the rest, and stick it back on? Everything's better. You just can't see the blueprints yet. If you knew what God was going to make you, it would be different. Does that make sense? So here's the deal, and he's going to tell us in this chapter. He says, no other foundation can be laid. Listen, listen. Now that he's tore this up, and that might be your wilderness, that might be your 15 years of running from Saul, that might be your time of wandering with Moses, but in the end of it all, he starts pointing. He goes, now look at, now that we're here, let me tell you what it can't, you can't pour that with. First of all, you can't pour it with Peter. There's a whole group of people out there that will tell you, because Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church. But if upon this rock I'll build my church meant upon Peter he'll build that church, Peter would have to be the foundation. Could you imagine how shaky that foundation would be? And you can imagine Paul going, oh, I know Peter, you don't want that. 
The foundation can't be Peter. Let me tell you what else it can't be. No, I'm not, these things, I'm not telling you these things that I'm about to say are bad things. I'm just telling you they're not the foundation. Does that make sense? Your view of creation. When the Lord's coming back. What day of the week you worship. How sovereign God is versus how much choice you have. Hey, there are some people, that becomes their foundation and the house is going to fall. Let me warn you. The problem is, the moment that something seems to be a little leak in that, the whole house comes down because it's not the foundation. Does that make sense? You know what I've learned now? I mean, your view of, of, in regards to the sanctity of human life. Chastity. What I've learned is when the proper foundation is poured, all of those things start to fall into line. But if you make one of those your foundation, the house can't stand on it because the thing he's about to build on you is so amazing and so glorious. Only one thing strong enough to hold it together, and that's Jesus. Does that make sense? So he digs and he pours Jesus. And all of a sudden, and here's the problem. Listen, listen, listen. You were a dancer. You were creative. You were an artist. You were an athlete. You were beautiful. You were brilliant. You were fun. You were socially gifted. You were the funny one. You were the whatever. And God scoops that up and you go, hey, 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 that's what I like about myself. And you say, self-esteem, self-esteem, self-esteem. And God says, show me in the Bible where it says self-esteem. You know what it says? God-esteem. He goes, here's the problem. Self-esteem shows you that's what's at your foundation. And I'm going to rip that up so that, because the problem is self is constantly changing. How do you constantly like a thing? constantly changing. God says, I don't change. If you put God esteem at the bottom of it, it doesn't change. You're never on a bridge ready to jump. Because it doesn't change. You want to feel good about yourself? Learn how God feels about you. That doesn't change. And he pours himself down there. And you know what the problem is? Before he pours it, there's a hole. Does that make sense? There has to be. There's a hole. And that hole hurts because that hole is that point where you say, who am I? If I'm not an athlete, who am I? If I'm not the beautiful, who am I? If I'm not the brilliant, the funny, the, the, the whatever it is, what am I? If you've ever gone to a class reunion, there are some people that are still trying to be what they were when they were in class. And you're looking and going, man, I was out of this before I was here, but when I was here last time, because it ain't my foundation. And then he starts pouring himself. And when he pours himself, he pours peace. But here's the crazy part. Are you with me so far? Now all you have is flat ground. Just like David said when he said, you took me out of the mire, he put, put me on, put my footsteps firm, man. Look at that great, broad, beautiful, flat space. And God says, but here's the funny part. I'm going to let you build. I'm going to give you a chance to be a part of this. You could pick the materials. And he says, let every person be careful how they build. Are you with me so far? So now that you've learned all of that, you can ask Allie because she's the architect, one of the architects here. Just to make things even, even more complicated. So here you go. You've been dug up. You've been laid nice and flat. The foundation has been poured there's only one foundation. What's that foundation? Excuse me, I didn't hear you. What's that foundation? There's more of you in that. What's, what's the foundation? Okay, when someone starts talking to you and starts, listen, I don't care what you think they came from, and they start telling you about what kind of Christian they are, get to the foundation. You want to know why a cult is a cult? Get to the foundation. 
Who's Jesus? Well, I believe he's kind of, that's not my Jesus. Right? We all worship the same God. No, we don't. We, We all have the same foundation. No, we don't. Yours kills people. Makes them all afraid so they can't get out. My love people raise the dead. You, Your guy made people dead. Mine raised them. How is that the same guy? And I'm not trying to pick on anything. I'm just trying to be serious here because I want to be honest. This is no other foundation. No other foundation. No other person. No other standard. Nothing. There's only one foundation. Now you can agree or disagree, but it's with the... You, hey, listen, don't take it up with me. Take it up with the author. I didn't write this. Only one foundation can be laid. And that foundation is... What, what's that foundation? Oh, excuse me. What's that foundation? One more time. What's that foundation? That's what I want your foundation to be. This has been, now be careful how you build. So God gives you a B and Q card. And he says, now you pick, your, you pick your materials. And he says, notice there are six materials, half on one side, half on the other. Are you with me on that? And this is what he says. He says, be careful how you build, because some would build with gold and silver and precious stones. Some would build with hay, wood, and stubble. Now, then he says, be careful how you build, because it's all going to be tested by something, or proven by something. What's it going to be proven by? Excuse me, what's it going to be proven by? Thank you, some of you. I know we're in a place of mildness. But mildly rock the house. Okay, so listen. So here you are. What's our foundation? Thank you. And so he says, okay, look it. And this is something that the Lord showed me about great grace. He says, you can build with some things. For instance, you could build with gold. You could build with silver. Let's just call this a precious stone. I made like a ruby. Ooh, you like it? Nice. Okay. Now, I still haven't said what we're building yet, right? But there is only one building you build with gold, silver, and precious stones, by the way. We'll get that in a moment. Okay? But he also says you could build with other things. You could build with, let's just say, you could build with, like, hay, wood, and stubble. Now, what's going to prove it all in the end? Fire. Fire. Now, here's the cool thing. Three of those, half of these items, are not afraid of the fire. Have you noticed that? Which ones? Yes, rubies are precious stones. Because here's the beautiful part about it. Is that gold only gets purer in the fire. Silver only gets purer in the fire. Precious stones become even more precious stones in the fire. But this is what I've learned. I look at scripture and I see something about gold. And this is what God shows me with gold. He says, for instance, trials have come that your faith of greater value even than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. And God tends to, to look at gold and kind of go, it's like, if you look at gold, could you remind you of faith? Trust. Trust in me. Trusting me. Silver, interesting enough, I challenge you to look in scripture. What you're going to find is silver always seems to point to redemption. It's the price of a man being redeemed. That which redeems others. Precious stones, that of often of prayer and devotion. As we see, for instance, with Aaron, as he braids those precious stones, as God shows his devotion to the people through it. Are you with me on that so far? Hey, wouldn't stumble. Let's just call that not such good stuff. With me so far? Follow me on this. You ever have one of those things where maybe you started it with the very best intent? I'm going to start this project, and we know what I'm going to do with this project. 
I'm going to start this project. And I really wanted to bless people. I really wanted to bring people closer to Christ. And God says, that sounds like silver to me. And you know what? God, as I'm starting it, I've got to trust you to do it. I can't do this. I'm going to trust you. So I'm going to... God says, that sounds like gold to me of faith. And I love you, God, and I want this to bless others and bring them to you. I just want people to know you're awesome. And God says, that sounds like a precious stone to me. Are you with me so far? Oh, but the problem is, any of you actually do that perfectly ever? Or should I just say, any of you are, are any of you delusional? So here's the problem, right? So here I am with this. But as I start doing this thing, because I want it to bless others, well, pride gets in the way, doesn't it? And as pride gets in the way, it's like, oh, man, hey, this will actually, it'll bless others and make me look good. And so there comes some hay, some little, some hay. But then as I'm trusting the Lord in this, Someone comes over and goes, but are you educated enough for this? Are you sure you're called for this? Do you have any degrees in this? And you start to doubt. And you get convoluted. And you stop trusting God for a moment. You start trying to take matters in your own hands. And there's a little bit of wood. Right? Oh, dang it. Now look at what we have. Right? And then it's like, okay, but Lord, I'm really devoted to you. But then somewhere in it also you get devoted to the praise of people instead of the praise of God. Right? And all of a sudden, you start stop, you stop making decisions based on God. You start making decisions based on, on what other people might applaud. And here's the problem, is you get this right at the end, and you feel like, if you ever feel like you did this, and you feel like God's just thrown away the whole project, because after all, I mean, the whole thing's ruined, right? Look, at this is what God says. He takes all of this, right? And he says, but let me tell you what the problem is, is that fire is going to prove it, isn't it? Isn't that what he said? So here's the problem. When fire sweeps across this, what happens? What happens to, what happens to the gold and silver and the precious stones? The pure. Now what happens to the... What happens to the rest? And guess what's left? There aren't even ashes. Look at This is the, the all-consuming fire of God. He goes, there is a day when this fire is going to come. And when this fire comes, this isn't gone. Here's the most amazing thing. And please hear my heart. We won't do this because we're afraid of that. Right? We'll say, oh, I won't step into this because pride might step in. I don't want to teach that Bible study. I don't want to go out and do that thing. I don't want to go out street witnessing. I don't want to do it because maybe I'll lose a little bit and there'll be some hay or wood and stubble. God says, don't worry. I've got that reserved for fire. Don't rob yourself of this for that. It says, this is your part. That's my part. Do you get it? And there are people who are going to spend their whole life without anything here because they were afraid of that. Now, there's only thing one left, one, only one thing left in this chapter. Are you with me so far? Never forget that, please. Because as long as you are here, I'm going to remind you. So what building are you going to be made into? Read this with me. Go ahead and go to the next verses if you would. Do you not know, verse 16, that you are what? 
I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What are you? Excuse me, what are you? What are you? Okay, now listen, we're Calvary Chapel. Hey, when I first got to be like Calvary Chapel, we like have churches and warehouses, storefronts. We take over like a KFC. And then you look at a building like this. And the problem is you could actually get prejudice against a building like this. Because you could then go, oh, and we could sound like Judas Iscariot. This money could have been sold and given to the poor. Until back in the fellowship in California, a group of people like Ali came into our fellowship. Architects. And I never looked at it from their perspective before. And everything changed. You see, imagine if you were the architect. The person who draws up the plans. And someone says, look, we're going to design an entire city, Ali. And in the center of the city, we want people who come from all around the world to say, God's the, the owner of this city. So I'm giving you responsibility for the building right in the middle. But I want people to know that's where God lives. What would you do? Would you not make it big? Would you make it beautiful? Would you make it so that everything points up to heaven? And you think, oh, but the throne of God, it's like, it's like a rainbow everywhere. Let's fill the, the windows with color. So when light comes in, it showers the place with color. It makes more sense to me. Because I want people, when people, even from a distance, and you can see that here in England, can't we? You could be on a train, and you're on a train, and you see this little huddle of a community, but right in the center of it is a church higher and more majestic than everything else. And for the first time, since then, and thank you, since then, I've looked and gone, man, that makes sense to me. God must live there. You would hope. Of course, now it's sort of synonymous with being empty and a lot of other things, which is really sad. But I want you to hear this, and please don't forget this. That is what he's making you. He's not making you like some little hoddle. You were supposed to be the thing in the center of the community that someone looks and goes, God lives there. And it is not going to be because you're pretty. Because the way that people see God lives somewhere is the way we behave. Does that make sense? And I want someone to look at you and say, God lives there. And not only that, but in the world we live, because they'd say, well, which one? They'd say, the one God I want to know. The rest of this chapter, let me clean it up and let's close this up. Are you with me? Okay, listen. Because this gets so fun because so many places, people go so many places with it. And I'm actually going to go right for the jugular. You don't have to agree with me, but you have to make a a choice of whether what I'm saying is right. Listen to this. And people, because people use this for all kinds of things. Verse 17. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. With me so far? And so this is the way it looks. Someone comes up and goes, are you drinking coffee? Do you know how much coffee is in that cup? Do you know how much caffeine is in that coffee? Do you realize you're destroying the, the, the temple of Christ? God's going to destroy you. Is that chewing gum? Do you know what that does to your teeth? You're destroying the temple of God. You can hear people like that. Oh my goodness, you had a beer. Now look at, can I just say from the pulpit, I don't want to get tight on all of that, but don't ever expect me to ever encourage it, and you're never going to get Bibles and beers here. Know that. But I can tell you this, that is not what they're saying up there. You know how I know that? Because God actually defines, here's the thing, all of that sounds convenient, but here's the problem. How do you defile, how do you defile a temple? You bring in a competing God. Does that make sense? So listen to this, because actually the place where people don't want to go is what the scripture says. 
because we are in an age of this being in the church. Decide for yourself. It isn't like God said, no, here's a whole brand new thought. This is what he says. Verse 17 and then 18. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he might become wise. What is the competing deity according to this? Earthly wisdom. Do you see it? Go ahead and flip to the next screen. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. The word for foolishness, by the way, is the word moros. It's where we get the word moron from. In other words, the wisdom of this world is moronic to God. And it says, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. Have you learned, by the way, that someone can wax eloquent and even a child can find the one thing and hit this little spot and the whole wall falls down? That's Job 5.13, by the way. And then he'll quote from Psalm 94.11. When he says that the thoughts of the wise, God knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Futile means they don't amount to anything. Listen. I've heard this with my nephew and then with my daughter. Almost exactly the same situation. Somebody waxes eloquent about the Big Bang. And they're going to tell you, and, and I remember this with Shantae, although I can certainly imagine Ruthie doing it too, but I remember Shantae as clear as day with this. Some guy is trying to explain to her the Big Bang. A scientist. And he says, everything came from this tiny little thing. Imagine if all matter was the size of a pea and it exploded. And it came into this complex universe. And I'm sorry, I know you won't understand all this because it's really scientific. But all matter is full of space. And if that space were compacted, it could, all matter could fit in the size of a pea. And I know you might not get it because you're young, but follow me. And and then it exploded. And then when it exploded, it all had to settle and it settled into all of these fortuitous circumstances. Then all of a sudden we have what we have. And I remember Chanti's just kind of listening and she's just kind of furring her eyebrows. And she finally just went, but who made the pee? And the guy was like, I was like, what? She's like, well, well, who made the pee? And the guy was like, uh, I mean, this guy built this beautiful wall and she went, doink, and the whole thing fell down. Because the wisdom of the wise is foolishness to God. Please, please hear me. We live in an era where we are replacing the faith, the faith in God with a trust for our own wisdom. Worldly wisdom says me first. I'm the man, I make it happen. And here's the way it works. I can give you a six-week seminar on how to out-argue the atheist so that you can show that they're stupid and you're smart. Oh, they'll still go to hell because you really haven't given them the gospel, but you could just show them they're stupid. Because after all, isn't that what we really want to do? No, that isn't what we want to do. I would rather love an atheist into Christ than argue with them to prove I'm right. But the problem is, if you're going to love somebody that hates God, you're going to take the blows. Hey, but didn't Jesus show us that? 
Don't you have family members that are like that, that your heart's broken over? And you would love for them not to do that. But God says, this is the route in between. You prayed that whatever it took to get them saved, well, I'm doing whatever it takes, but you don't want to go this way. Well, can I remind you, this is not a way, the way that this is going to happen. And you're like, no, I just think God wants to make my life comfortable. Or are we back with the, in decor- with the decorating again? Because let's face it, can't we do that after the whole thing's over? When God's still in the project somewhere and we realize we've actually asked God to pour the concrete and the whole thing starts at the ground floor again and we look and go, God, but wouldn't it be cool if you made my life comfortable now? God says, how about if I give you peace instead? And you go, no, how about remove the storm? And you go, no. And God says, no, how about I make you peaceful in the storm so that people who are in storms like yours can see that you're different. This chapter started with Paul saying, listen, you guys, you're elevating me? You're elevating Apollos? You're elevating Peter? Do you know Peter, the elevated Peter? Really? That's where you're starting this? What's your foundation, man? Because don't you realize all we are are people that God has brought onto the project of your work site to build you into the most beautiful cathedral that London has ever seen. Do you realize that's the plans God has for you? Do you realize when God, un- I mean, I think God giggles when he, un- when he opens up the blueprints and that's what he sees. And you're like, God, I don't know if I trust you because things get a little weird because you don't know how beautiful he's making you. You have any idea how good this is going to get? Can I just say, some of you I've had the honor of knowing for over a year. And I can comfortably say from looking around this room, and this is the blessing of actually being able to know you by name. There isn't a person here that I've known for over a year consistently that I can't, that I couldn't say, God hasn't done miracles and shown through. Every one of you here, I've sat down with the Lord and thanked personally for that I've known for more than a year because of what I've seen him do in your life. Some of you, you even know it. Some of you, you just don't. Listen to how this ends. So, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, the futile. Therefore, stop boasting in people, please. Could you stop name dropping? Could you stop making it about anything but Jesus? Hey, whether it's Paul or Apollos or Kephas, which is Peter, it's just the Aramaic way of saying it, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, hey, look, it's all yours. What does Peter have that you don't? Popularity? You know, the history of whacking off an ear, maybe? What does Paul have that you don't? Scars? Look at all things are yours. And you're Christ's. So you look and you go, you know, everything that these guys had, you have. The same God, the same Holy Spirit, the same word. You actually have more of the word than they do. Paul was still writing it. You have it. Paul couldn't have said, flip with me to Ephesians, because he was like, okay, I haven't written that yet. I will one of these days, and then it'll be awesome. Please hear me. Tonight, 
it is time to start enjoying the project. But can I say, here's the craziest part about God's economy. You get to be the project, and you get to be a builder too. You get to turn around and be a part of someone else's project. Isn't that the craziest part? But don't you for a moment ever forget that I'm also part of that project. I'm not just the person investing in you. I'm being invested in too. I showed up at church and there was just too many sinners. I'd have to say, there's always room for one more. Too many hypocrites, there's room for one more, man. Did you forget, it's like when I walked into the hospital and too many people were sick there. We're all projects. Come be a project with me. Because as God builds, it just gets more and more beautiful. There will be a day, more than likely, where God's going to, just as he continues to bless this in other ways, that this could be something where people will attach themselves to. But you are here now to help stop that when it happens. Just pointing to Jesus. Know that that's where my heart is. So here, as we go to prayer, is Jesus your foundation? Is he today? Or are you in the remodel, the redecoration, the relocation project? Are you in the reinvention project? Hey, it takes a discipline to let God reinvent you. It takes faith to trust that he will reinvent you. But my God not only knows what he's doing, he knows everything, so he never runs out. He doesn't go into the middle of the project and realize it costs more than he thought. Every building project that's like that except God's. Because he paid for all of it on the cross. And because he paid for all of it at the cross, there's nothing left for him to pay. He's already taken care of it. Now it's just time to start enjoying what he's doing. But can we remind each other that at those moments when actually God takes out the wrecking ball again? Because sometimes he doesn't tear the whole house down. He tears down part of it, rebuilds it, and then tears down the next part of it. Because if he tore the whole thing down, you might just jump off a cliff. And he knows that. So he has to do it part by part for some of us. Have you known that? There are other people that's like, well, God just took care of that whole thing. And then you built. And sometimes you build. Did you notice that God didn't say that, you know, that that's like the only time he's going to give fires at the end? Sometimes aren't you thankful that in the middle of the project he throws fire through it? And then he goes, now, you want to start on that floor again? And then you're like, oh, I don't know. Look at how mean God is. God's like, mean? I have this gigantic thing planned and you're like still on the first floor tearing the whole thing up with your nasty little bad choices. He goes, love, love, know that I love you enough to burn that so you can do it again. Aren't you thankful that he allows you to retake? Have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ not for a remodel or a redecoration or for a relocation, but literally for a reinvention? In other words, Jesus is more than Savior, but also Lord. Because if not, I'm going to give you the chance to say yes to that. If you have said yes to Jesus Christ in such a way, then I want to pray a dangerous prayer for all of us. God, give me the faith to trust in your blueprints. Give me the joy to, to, be, to, be, to enjoy your work on my life. And then give me the courage to be used to be on other people's. Does that sound? Faith to trust your blueprints. Joy to enjoy your building on my life. And then courage to be used with other people. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, I want to thank you for what you've done here tonight. 
how beautiful your word is. How simple and glorious and wonderful. How wonderful and beautiful your word is. And Lord, I confess to you, man, there are some times where I'm just so good at grabbing haywood and stubble because it seems like it's cheaper and easier to use. It seems like things go up so much quicker. But they're so faulty and rickety. But God, there are times where I know that you just bring us right down to the, to the foundation because it seems like everything gets corroded from that point on because it's just so little of what you really want, so much, little of, of faith in you and so little of genuine devotion, Lord, to you and selflessness with a desire to see other people blessed and not just ourselves looking awesome. But God, I want to thank you for your fire. Oh, it's easier to thank you when I'm not in it, but I want to thank you for your fire. I pray that tonight we would see the mercy of your fire that burns away our lack of faith, our selfishness, our impatience, our callousness to others. I want to thank you. And I want to thank you, God, for your foundation for your blueprints. And so tonight, if there be any who have not accepted the gift of Jesus, tonight, if there's anyone who's not sure, as I pray this prayer, Holy Spirit, speak to their heart. And if you do agree at the end, you make the choice to say amen and what you're saying is, All right, let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. I agree. And here it is. God, I'm a sinner. And I'm not coming to you for a redecoration, for a remodel, or even a relocation. I'm coming to you for a reinvention. You've told us that whoever's in you is a new creation. That's a new invention altogether. I won't tell you any element of my lifestyle, personality, or even the talents you've already given me have to be in it or not. Because what I really want is to be the cathedral you ordained me to be. And for that to happen, there should be no competing deities in there. So Lord, you need to tear up the foundation that's me and put you there in its place. Because you told me that if I'm not willing to pick up my cross and follow you, I'll never see your kingdom the way you want. I'll never see it. So Lord, tear up all of that selfishness, all of the me. And tonight... Pour yourself in there as the the real foundation of my life. I realize that means you're going to have to tear up an awful lot. But I know you do not use excessive force. and You do not destroy anything unnecessary. You're not careless. You're perfect. So Jesus really did die and you did on the cross for my sins. To pay for all of my guilt and shame died and was buried, and three days later, just as Scripture promised, he rose again. And simply you ask now for my permission, my surrender to you, for you to do that work now in my life. Will I say yes? I make that choice tonight to say yes, to say, Jesus, reinvent me. I'm yours now. Jesus, in your name. And if you agree, I ask you to say amen.
Lord, right now I pray for every brother and sister in here, myself included. And I pray those three simple things now. Will you give us the faith, Lord, to trust your blueprints? And I know this, that the more we're in your word, first of all, you tell us faith comes by hearing and that your word. We get more faith simply by being in your word and hearing it. But also we get a better understanding of your blueprints as well. So get us hungry for your word. And as we get hungry for your word, feed us the way you want. And then that give us more faith in your blueprints. But also, Lord, give us more joy in your project. So, Lord, I pray that you would enhance our prayer life. That it wouldn't be a monologue, but a dialogue. An honest dialogue. One, Lord, that says, Lord, speak to me. But sometimes you tell us that you chastise those you love. Lord, there are sometimes you need to take me to the woodshed. I know that. Could you please, Lord, please? Tonight even, speak to my heart. Continue to speak. Even as I go to sleep tonight, speak to me. And I want my prayers to be right. They're not, here are my dreams, here are my goals, here are my plans, bless them. But rather, Lord, your will be done. It's your blueprints, not mine. So give me a greater joy as you work on me. So Lord, as you give me a hunger for your word and a better, more intimate prayer life, I pray you also give me courage to be used in other people's construction sites as well. And for that, Lord, I pray you give me a genuine passion for fellowship, real fellowship. Lord, that a place where we can meet like this, Lord, where we could just say, I'm available. I'm available, Lord. What you want to do, you can do. I'm available. And Lord, you may lead me to pray, to open up your word, to give. Whatever it is, Lord, whatever it is, give me the courage to be used. The faith, Lord, to trust your blueprints. The joy as you work on me. And the courage to be used. The hunger for your word. And intimacy in my prayers with you and dialogue. And a genuine delight in my brothers and sisters and a passion for this fellowship as you lead us. As we commit ourselves to you now, thank you, thank you, thank you. We don't deserve to be anything but a a desolate field, but you are making us a cathedral. And we just want to say thank you. So here we are, your living stones. Do your work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.